couple of those songs I haven't heard in many, many years. But that last song we just sang, if we sang that from the heart, you know, I think about when that was written. And it's been quite a few years. But you look at what the world has to offer us today, the enticements, the draw, the pull, the advertisements that we're bombarded with every single day on our phones. Used to be the TV or the newspaper, but now we carry it around with us even to the bathroom. Am I lying? I'm, I know because from experience, <laughs> the guy talking does it. We got it everywhere we go, and we're just bombarded nonstop. This is what you need. This is what you don't have, and if you would get this, it would add to your life. I've got a lot of stuff. I don't know about you. Way more stuff than I need. And it still hasn't fulfilled anything that that name of Jesus has come and what he's done for you and I. Amen? What a song to be sung from my hearts this morning. Before I get into the word, I just want to encourage you this morning. I know once again, uh, you as a church body are looking for an under shepherd. The great shepherd is still leading this house. This is his house. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He said he will build whose church? His church. So this is his. So we can take rest and comfort in that. But I also believe that he has an under shepherd in store for you folks as well as you uh, come together. And, and listen, let me encourage you as well. Make sure you're here on Wednesday nights. Uh, Bishop Marley has is, is poured his heart into this teaching, and uh, I think it's just going to be essential. We can't say it enough. I know Zeb's already said it, but I want to just reiterate that. I've heard his heart about it. I know he believes it is for such a time as this. And the more of you can come together and just get on the same page, because that's what being a church that is unified is all about. We just need to be on the same page and understand that God is still using you in the midst of this season, that as you do dramas and plays and reach the community, as you go outside these walls and, and people hear of how you talk about your church and how thankful you are of this church and what it is doing in and through you, let me tell you something, God has great things in store, not in the future, but right now. Right now for Stoneville Pentecostal Holiness Church. And so I saw this, a, a pastor friend of mine posted this recently on Facebook, and uh, we used to uh, pass these around a lot, but uh, if you don't mind, share that um, little cartoon, if you will. And I just want to plant this seed in your heart today. So pastoral search committee, if you've never been on one of those, it's not an easy thing. You get the resumes, you're looking over the, the pastors, you're listening to sermons, and you're, you're trying to hear the voice of the Lord. And you may, some of you may can't read it because of the cross, so I'll read it for you. Basically, this is the search committee saying this, we're looking for an innovative pastor with a fresh vision who will inspire our church to remain exactly the same. Now, that's funny, and it's funny to me because I've been in that situation, whereas I felt like that's exactly what the people were looking for. 
And how many of you know that we generally say when a pastor comes and says, uh, do you want to grow as a church? Well, the correct response is, of course, yes. But what I've learned is so many times that response comes, but they don't say the latter to that which is in their heart they're saying, as long as you don't change me. You change everything else and everybody else. But as long as I don't have to change, as long as you don't mess up what I like, sure, I'll be glad to grow. Come on. See, I, I, Bishop Marley has to deal with y'all during the week. I don't. So I can say what needs to be said. Come on, brother. <laughs> I'm going home. And then I'll just deal with my wife, all right? Uh, you know, so she keeps me straight as best she can. But notice she's not here today, so I don't get, you know, I can get a little out of hand, all right? But seriously, think about that. I just want to plant that seed in your heart. Don't let this be reality. Don't let that be reality of what's happened so many times. Just be open and say, Holy Spirit, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. That's really what we're called to do anyway as believers. Amen? To be open to what the Lord, it it may be uncomfortable, but in my time on this earth uh, as being a a, a child of God, a Christian, let me just say this, over and over and over again, as soon as I get comfortable, God has a way of messing things up. It's for my good. I don't usually see it and understand it at the moment, but I realize later, oh, that's why he did that. That's why he didn't want me getting too comfortable there because God wants to stretch us and he wants to move us and mold us and shape us to be what? More like him to be more like him. All right, well, that was a whole nother sermon, and I won't even charge you for that one. I want to talk to you this morning about being born in a manger. Born in a manger. So I had a question, and um, if, you, if you don't mind, there you go. I was asking this morning, I was going to ask, how many of you have something like this in your home or outside your home? Majority of you? Nativity scene of some sort. Now, barring that, please understand, I'm aware that this is not necessarily accurate. You do realize that, right? We understand because most of y'all been in Sunday school that the wise men didn't show up at the manger scene, right? But it's a way of us telling a story, compacting a moment in time that is a beautiful event that we celebrate. We celebrate on December the 25th, we don't even know the exact day that Jesus was born, but that's a day that's been set aside for us to celebrate. And how many of you like to celebrate? We love this time of year. It's a glorious time of year of of coming together. And you guys that teamed up and and worked together to put up these beautiful decorations, it gives you a sense of there's something special in the air. There's somebody special to celebrate, and there's none more special than Jesus, our Savior. But Sarah and I have a nativity set. We have a couple. We put one outside, and that's our witnessing tool, if you will. Oh, they must be Christians. But then we have one of those pretty ones, uh, a little set made out of wood, and it was given to us uh, from a dear friend from, and it was made in Bethlehem of all places. Sadly, I've never had the opportunity to go yet. That's still on my bucket list. But that nativity set is very, very special to us. 
It's something we display on our dining room table, and we want people that come into our home to see, and, and it's a talking piece, if you will. It's a way to, to remind us of the story and also an opportunity to use to share with others. But putting those inaccuracies aside of the wise men being there, and we still look at the faces and all the different nativity scenes. I got another picture you guys can see. I mean, there's just so many out there. Um, and we have live nativity scenes and churches do, and, and we present it so many different ways. We look at the, the angels that like, you guys have represented here, and we see Joseph and Mary, and we see baby Jesus. He's all nice and cute and cuddly. And we present this idyllic moment in time like it's such a sweet time to be born. And there's nothing further than the truth. It was a horrible time to be alive on earth. There was chaos and, and evil rulers. There was, there was distress in the Hebrew people. There was people of God that were looking for answers. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a king to overcome the king that had been established on the earth. It was not this beautiful moment in time that we present so often. It was a, a time of, matter of fact, uh, what mother wants to have a child in a stable? What mother, we know that they walked to inns and they were knocking on doors and saying, is there room for us? Their, their preference was to be in a hotel room, if you will. Somewhere that was warm, somewhere that, that was accommodating, somewhere that would help lessen some of the pain that Mary had already gone through just on the journey alone. Yet, we read in Scripture that there was no room in the inn. We see during this time that King Herod, he was in the final years of his ruthless rule and he found conspiracies around every corner. Does that sound like the world we live in today? How many of you pull up your phone or your TV and you turn on your favorite news channel and there's one conspiracy after another? We don't know what's true, what's being made up to make us think one way or another. We, we don't know what's true. I don't know about you. Maybe you do but I don't even know what to believe anymore because there's so many conspiracies that are, that are designed to get us to think and act a certain way. And we see those things taking place. King Herod, he was just a man of, of a feeling that conspiracies were all around and he was scared he was going to lose his place of authority. Matter of fact, we read in Scripture that he executed two of his own sons for conspiring against him. Now, how many of you would like to be the one to tell that kind of king that the king of kings was being born? Who would like to be that messenger? To see what kind of reaction he would have. To see how he would respond that you're telling me, you're saying the king of all kings, the king that is over me is being born. Well, I'm going to take care of that situation. I mean, he already killed his boys. It's far from being a serene, cute manger scene that we place on our mantles. The tension, the tension around there, the tension that 
they experienced, the anxiety, the word that we use today, that was going through Joseph and Mary and those surrounding them. It's hard enough just that they were having to make this, this long travel for the census. Why was the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Christ, Yahshua, the God who saves his people, why was he born in such humble circumstances? A stable, made for animals, placed in a, we call it a manger, but it was a trough for animals to eat out of and drink out of. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, fully human yet fully divine, is laid in a trough. Why? What a story. What an account in history, a, a moment of time, if you will. Why, why not a palace? That's what he deserved. Why did the angels speak to shepherds? Lowly shepherds, that their job was to watch over flocks, to keep sheep in a contained area. I mean, why not powerful rulers in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Rome, if you will? First, I want to take us back to why there was a need for a Savior to begin with. And again, I know I'm not sharing anything new with the majority of you here, but you know what I'm learning my time on this earth? That I take for granted that people have basic Bible knowledge so often. And yet, statistics and, and research tells us that we're growing up in a world where we have more access to God's Word. We have access to God's Word on our phones that we can read. I didn't need that. That we can read every day, wherever we are. But here's the thing, church. We have more biblical illiteracy than ever before, it seems. When you read this morning and had a congregational response, do you realize that through majority of time that very few people could actually read this book? And when the word would be spoken to a crowd, that the crowd would not read the response. They would verbally respond to what had been read because they couldn't read it. Do you see how blessed we are to have access, to have the capabilities, to be able to, if you still can't even read today and there's people that can't, you can have it audibly spoken to you we have the wonderful Word of God who came in living flesh as we're talking about today. Why did God Almighty have to send His Son in the flesh? Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Records there's a man and a woman who were in love. Come on, somebody. They had perfect love. There was no sin in their life. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says this, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree. Say every tree. Is that freedom? You got all of it. Every tree here you can have all you want. Enjoy yourself. Eat of every tree of the garden, but of the 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Does that sound familiar to how we handle freedom today? We have a lot of freedom in our country that we take for granted. There's a lot of people giving their lives so that we can have the freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom to assemble like this right here without fear of retribution, at least at the moment. Hello? No guarantee that's going to last. Come on. Better do some traveling around the world and see how it's going. It's coming here fast. And the reality is, is God had given all this freedom to Adam and Eve. And then we know the, the woman had to go and mess things up, right? I, don't get mad at me. Just look at the Bible. Satan came along and said, you're not going to die. What is he the author of? Confusion, author of lies. He tells that woman, he says, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to know everything like he does. He doesn't want you to know the good as well as the bad. Well, she shares. We've got to give her credit for that. The woman shares. And the man eats as well. And we find that there's sin we find that at that moment, this is where the Christmas story begins. Really began before the ends in time. We know that God had planned this out in his sovereignty. But really when you look at it, we know that right then and right there, God's plan for mankind, we understand that there is a need for an ultimate sacrifice because what happens is Eve reached up and she took that bite of the fruit. She gave it to her husband to eat as well. And then Adam and Eve, who enjoyed perfect freedom, who enjoyed the, the perfect relationship with one another and with their creator, all of a sudden realized they were full of guilt, of shame. There was sin in their life. They were no longer who they were because now they were on a trajectory of death. Born in the perfection of the garden, now on their way to death, but instead of making them pay the price that day, this is the grace of God. They deserve death right then. Scripture says, on that day you will surely die. But God steps in in all of his grace and he says this. He tells them that he's going to take an animal and he's going to kill it. And with the fleece, he covers their bodies. They begin to hide from God, and God says, where are you? And we know that God didn't lose them. He didn't have the GPS tracker to not work anymore, okay? God knew exactly where they were, but he knew that something had changed, and he wanted them to understand something's changed, and they said, we know we hid from you because of what's going on in our lives, because of what has changed. We hid from you. And God said, I'm going to take this animal, and I'm going to have to kill it, was it a lamb? I don't know, but probably so. And the first bloodshed cast in the garden. An innocent lamb had to give his life for the choices of those humans. I don't miss this. 
Their sin didn't cause immediate death. How many of you understand that we've all probably lived in sin for a time? Hear me, church. Don't miss this. Some of you are thinking, well, it's been so long since I sinned. We can have that argument later. I talk with people that have the mindset that, you know, they haven't sinned, and they tell me in 37 years and six months I haven't sinned. I said, you just did when you said that. Because I can't get inside your mind, but God does, and I know where our minds go. And he tells me if I look upon a woman with lust, hello, somebody, you sinned. So have I. So here we go. He says this. He, he's, he's, as we travel through time, we're reading in the book of Genesis about Abraham, after we leave the garden, we find out that this man and this woman who were in perfection, relationship with one another and God, their, their, their world has changed. Well, a life has had to be given, an innocent lamb sacrifice. And then we go through time and we read in the book of Genesis as well, this man named Abraham. He had all the sheep he needed, all the flock, all the wealth. He had everything except a son. No child to his name. And God tells him that he's going to be a father to the multitude of nations. He says, I will be your God and I will be their God as well. Now, what a promise to a man with no kid. Y'all probably know the story. How old was this man when God comes along and tells him, he says, you're going to have a baby. At the right young age of 100, mama is only 90, Miss Sarah. Now, all you grandmas and mamas and whatever name your grandchild calls you, um, can you just take a moment and just think how funny this would be right now? <laughs> so said, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> it wouldn't be, would it? There's nothing to laugh about, even though Sarah laughed. She's thinking, God, that's crazy. It's crazy talk. You know this can't happen. Abraham is telling her the story, and you know this can't be. She even really mocks God about it. But God tells Abraham he'll be a father and he's going to ratify this through a blood covenant. You see, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people understood blood covenants, especially important vows. Remember this, church, were performed by slaughtering animals, splitting their bodies in two, and then have a path for both parties that were involved in this covenant that was about to be made, this contract, if you will. They would pass through the, the shed blood of the separated bodies, of the dismembered sacrifice. Sounds gross. But that's the importance of the promise of the covenant. That's how deep it really was. Both parties then pledged their own lives. Think about that. I personally prefer, like my grandfather and my dad did it, a handshake. <laughs> Can you relate to me with that? I mean, I, I'm glad that we got to the place now that, hey, when I shake your hand, I mean what I say, and I expect you to mean what you say. I'm glad I don't have to go out into the backyard and, and find the an animal that I'm going to have to sacrifice so that we'll understand just how important our word is to one another. The Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We need to take that seriously, men and women of God. Amen. Not much later, God came to Abraham. He said this in Genesis 18, I'm going to give you a son. And the laughter began with Sarah. What are you talking about? 
Now, even though Sarah mocked God and Abraham for even the thought of this becoming a reality, how many of you know that with God all things are possible? How many of you know that Sarah gave birth to a son named Isaac at the young age of 90? More time passes. God comes back to Abraham and says in Genesis 22, if you trust me, did you hear that this morning? If you trust me, take your son up to Mount Moriah and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Parents, can you listen to me just a moment? Can you, can you even fathom, because I have a hard time fathoming. Again, you guys know I have two teenage daughters, 16 and 18. I, I can't even imagine God asking me to offer my children as a sacrifice. And we find that Abraham, in his obedience, we know that he was a man of God, obedient to the Lord. We find that he's willing to do what God has called him to do. But can you picture with me for a moment? Can you imagine Abraham coming home and sitting down at the table with his wife Sarah and say, Honey, can I tell you what God told me today? God told me I need to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and I, I, I need to make him a sacrifice unto God. Honey, I don't have to kill our son. Do y'all think that would have gone over too well with Mama? Do you think she would have had something to say? We don't find anywhere in Scripture that Abraham was even remotely willing to tell his wife or anybody else what God had told him, but he was willing to be obedient. And he took his son and some servants. They took the necessary items, the, the wood, the fire maker, and the knife and began to make the trek. We read that Isaac's, old enough to realize that he looks around and thinking, Dad, um, what are we going to sacrifice? What, what, what are we taking to Mount Moriah to offer to God? Hush, boy. Just, just come on. Make the trip. And they get there, but we find that Abraham realizes and has an understanding that as he's making that trip, God is calling him to a purpose. Listen, they're going on a three-day journey towards Mount Moriah near what is now, guess what, Bethlehem. Can I tell you God is up to something, church? Oh, we're going to find how that's going to connect in just a little bit. Hear this, Abraham put the wood for the sacrifice on the shoulders of his son. That's adding insult to injury. Boy, carry this wood right here. I'm seriously, as I prepared it, I'm sitting there and I'm just sitting in my chair going like, I don't, I can't relate to this. I can't relate putting the wood on the shoulder of my son and telling him to carry it up on a three-day journey. Son, just come on with me, come on with me. We got to trust God, we got to trust God. Knowing that God has told me that I've got to give my son as the sacrifice. I've got to dismember him, shed his blood for my God to be pleased. That's what he's requested from me. Do you hear that this morning? Do you hear the cost of sin? 
Isaac said, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham didn't say, hush, boy. He said, God, he will provide for himself a sacrifice. Do you believe that same God today? God, he will provide for himself a sacrifice. Abraham proceeded to bind up Isaac on the altar. Picture, come on, parents, picture young people in here today just thinking this is a young man old enough that he could give some kickback to dad, if you will. Lays his son on the altar. Son, get on the altar. It begins to bind him to the altar. Now, listen, I love my father. My dad passed this year, and I love Papa Bobby. But... If he asked me to lay on the altar, I had enough sense to realize there was no lamb to sacrifice. Daddy had the wood, the fire, and the knife, and he's laying me up there, and he begins to want to bind me to the altar. I'm thinking, Daddy, we're going to have to go a couple of rounds. I mean, this is, this is a real, this isn't a fairy tale. I'm thinking, Daddy, you've lost it. What are you doing? Why do I need to be up here? This is reserved for the lamb. Scripture tells us that Abraham raised the knife. Daddies, can you fathom it? He raised the knife in total obedience to the God of this universe. And the voice of the Lord says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Because you have believed me. Because you have believed me enough to offer your only son, you will be blessed more than you can imagine. Abraham proceeds to cut his son loose. I'm sure there was some tears flowing that day, church. Can you imagine that daddy cutting those ropes? where he was going to be cutting his son, and now he's just rejoicing in the Lord, understanding that he had passed this, this insurmountable test that God had laid before him. And just as Abraham predicted, he said, God will provide the sacrifice for himself. We know that the ram that was called in the thorn bushes was there, and they were able to use that ram. But let me tell you something once again. Here we find another innocent animal having to be sacrificed. Sin cross, church. Please don't lose sight of this fact. Isaac's life was spared, but it came at a cost. It came at a cost. Church, sin always comes at a cost. So keep in mind this Jewish heritage that I've been sharing today, all the lambs, the goats, the turtle doves, the hundreds of thousands, who knows, the untold number of people who would come make the trek up to Mount Moriah, wherever they were offering the sacrifice and all those shepherds that were keeping these animals and preparing them and 
being ready and made for those sacrifices, all those sacrifices, all those animals that gave their life on the account of the sins of mankind. Now, fast forward in time again. There's countless other instances I could share through Scripture about the sacrifices. We could talk about the Passover lamb whose blood spared the lives of the firstborn of the Hebrews. When the firstborn of all the Egyptians were being slaughtered, the list goes on and on and on. But what I want you to focus on today is this. I'm just here to remind each of us the cost of forgiveness and to not take it for granted. I think too many times I've been caught up in, I want somebody to get saved so bad, I try to lessen the cost. I I try to lessen the actual story, if you will, because I want want to make it more palatable to ears that are hearing. Forgive me of that, Lord. Because the truth is there's, there's nothing but tremendous cost all around. When we lay our hands on that pure, innocent lamb of Bethlehem, when we confess our sin, our fault, our guilt, our remorse, our complete separation from God, when we do this, he still forgives. Amen, church? He still forgives. The Lamb of God still dies in our place. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. What's all this got to do with Christmas and being born in a manger? Glad you asked. Remember Eve who disobeyed God? Adam who followed in the footsteps? Remember Sarah who laughed and mocked God and her husband? For such a crazy idea as having a son at that young age. Now consider a young woman of Nazareth named Mary, who said in an astonishing message given to her by angel, that she, this young virgin girl, would bear God's only son. Certainly can't relate to this. A visit by an angel. An innocent young lady says, you will bear God's only son. I love her words, her response. Let it happen to me exactly as you have said. Hear me, church. What if our response in this season of searching for an under-shepherd, or this season of sharing the great news of Jesus' birth, What if in this time in our lives, no matter where you find yourself, your response to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life is, let it be to me exactly as you say. Did you hear that this morning? What if our response, if things happen we don't like or we don't understand why God's doing this, that, and the other, we just, Lord, just, I don't have to understand it all. I don't have to understand why she reacted that way or why he said that to me, but Lord, just Just let it be to me exactly as you have said. Lord, I just want to be obedient to you. I just want to serve you. Lord, I don't have to understand it. I just want to be here, available. Here I am. She said that. This young female in the same spirit, hear this, the same spirit of obedience as Abraham. Do you see this? The same willingness that Abraham said, whatever you say, Lord, I'm willing to do it. Here we find Mary in that same mindset, that same heart, that same humility. Here I am, Lord. I'm willing. I don't get it. Sounds pretty crazy to me. 
Sounds like it could be a challenge, but I'm willing. Now, 33 short years. This next picture I want you to see is just simple this. Just look at Mary. Just look at her kissing a baby. Very next one. Kissing a baby. And in 33 short years, she's looking at a whipped, torn, beaten, sacrificed lamb. Mamas, daddies, we've got the same heart as Abraham, if you will, the same struggles. We want the best for our children. Mary didn't want to experience what she did. She didn't want to go through the hurt, the pain, the suffering. She didn't want to offer her son up as a sacrifice to the evil world. Can I remind you just how evil the world was? And yet here, this innocent man who came in peace with the answer to the sin of the world is nailed to a cross. This perfect lamb, firstborn male, born in Bethlehem, set apart from birth to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Listen to this in Luke. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. See the pattern here. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for him in the end. Do you know what I take away from that? Can I just tell you what? I believe that God understood that throughout time, we humans needed to be able to relate. No matter where we came from, no matter what our background, no matter what our socioeconomic background is, no matter what pigment is in our skin, no matter what, we had to be able to relate to this God. And God said, you know what? I could have the most grandiose palace in the whole world. I could have that built for my son to be born in, but I choose to lay him in a trough for an animal because here's the thing. Every single one of us has the opportunity to come up and be able to lay our hands on the baby in the manger, if you will, and pick that baby up and say, God, this is the only worthy sacrifice, this baby. This is the only sacrifice that will do this perfect lamb, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. This this baby is the only one that will do. See, no matter where you came from today, no matter where you're going, no matter what sin was in your life or what sin is in your life right now, every one of us can come to the manger. You can come to the manger and say, Lord, I give you your son in my place because he is the only sacrifice worthwhile that can take away my sin. And every time we sin against God, we are in essence having to offer up 
his son back to him again. But see, this is blood covenant that God has made with us. And he said, I'm going to shed this blood for one time, and it's going to cover the sins of the world. Guess what? We were a part of that. You and I today are a part of the sins that have been covered, but we must believe. I just wanted today to remind us about the reality of God was working from the eons of time. He had already set in place in his sovereignty the work that needed to be done. He had already established in the garden that there was going to be a sacrifice that needed to be made. He established it through the covenant of Abraham. He established it through his covenants throughout his scripture. And then we get to the new covenant. The covenant that today you assembled here for, I hope and pray, you assembled under the covenant that you are serving a Savior, and his name is King Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is also the forgiver of our sin. And I'll close with this. Jesus escaped being murdered by Herod. But guess what? It cost. You know what I hadn't thought about in a long time, but you know the shepherds that kept the flocks? They had children. Guess whose children were murdered? They were a part of that group who experienced heinous acts of an earthly king. Their own children would be murdered, but, but Jesus escaped in God's divine plan. Folks, I'm just here to remind us, sin cost. Sin is costly. God had a perfect plan, and we can come to the manger. We can claim the gift of God's son. We can claim the lamb, the perfect sacrifice. The price has been paid. No matter where you come from, no matter where you're going, God has paid that price. Will you stand with me this morning? God said he will provide for himself a lamb, a sacrifice. And he did so through his son. We're celebrating his birth this month. We celebrate his willingness to come to this earth to endure what he did. Fully divine, fully human. I'm ready for God to help me understand that fully when I get to heaven. How did you do that? But by faith, I stand before you today and I pray you do as well. I receive what God has done for us. And my question for you is this morning, listen, bow your heads, close your, close your eyes, just no distractions. We got a lot of movement. I just want you to hear this because this is the most important time in the whole message. I want you, to, want you to make sure today that you realize that the Savior that Mary and Joseph were carrying, trying to find a place to give birth, they were knocking on doors and they were being told multiple times, there's no room. There's no room. There's no room for you. You know what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart about this message is this. That's exactly what we tell God all the time. There's no room for you. There's no room for you. 
Zeb said it this morning. Listen, those of you that are reading through the Bible, those of you that are praying on a daily basis, you're making room for the Heavenly Father. You're making room for the Lamb of God. You're making room. I want to ask you if you're here today and, and you say, well, I don't have time. Let me tell you something. You have time. I have time because we've placed other gods before him. So I'm knocking today, and I'm asking you, is there room? Young person, is there room for Jesus in your heart? Gentlemen, ladies, is there room for Jesus in your heart? Let me pray with you today. And my prayer is going to be if you have pushed the lamb outside and you're not willing to make the sacrifices that I presented today that had to be made for us to receive the blood of the lamb. Folks, will you cry out to God today? And I ask the Holy Spirit to convict you in such a magnificent way that you will fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Father, in the name of Jesus, my prayer today is that there, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice or whether they're watching on live stream, wherever it may be, Lord, that today is the day of our salvation, that, Lord Jesus, right where they are, they will cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm no longer going to push you aside. I'm no longer going to push you out. There's going to be room in my life. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to give you a room in the corner, but, Lord, I'm going to give you first place in my life because that's the only thing that you deserve. Today, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, you can raise your hand, you can cry, you can come to this altar, you do what you need to do, but I want you to cry out to Jesus today and say, Lord, I am making room for you no matter what. You are first in my life. Your sacrifice paid it all for my sin. Your sacrifice you prepared from the eons of time paid in full for my sin. And today I surrender to you. Will you surrender today to the Lamb of God? How do you do that? You ask him. Say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my life. I give myself to you. Whatever you ask. Be careful. Abraham said, Lord, whatever you ask. Mary said, Lord, whatever you ask. He's asking us the same this morning. Are we willing to say whatever you ask? Because he was willing to do whatever was necessary to shed blood for our sin. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe you're transforming lives in this room right now as I speak because you love us that much. Your grace is that magnificent. Your grace is that sufficient. Lord, transform the hearts gathered here today that your spirit may engulf them, that, Lord, they will experience you like never before, and that, Father, they will be grounded in your word, that they will become men and women of God, that, Lord, Jesus will share the good news just like the shepherds did, just like the apostles did, just like we're called to do today, that, Lord, we'll let others know that there is a Savior who's not dead in a grave, but he has risen, and he is on the right hand of the Father interceding for us this very moment. 
and to God be the glory. Great things he has done. In the men.